0: Come to Welcome to Hub City Vineyard. To get connected or to give online, you can go to connect.hcv.church or give.hcv.church. If at any time during this message you feel called to make a change in your life, text change me. To Thank you, and enjoy the message. Club City Vineyard, how are you guys feeling today? What's that? All right, I love it. Well, apparently you guys are ready to go and on fire, because no less than three or four people from the worship team told me to prepare myself, because they said, you guys are ready to receive the word of the Lord in the house today. I'm ready. I can't wait. So if this is your first time here this morning, I want to say God bless you and welcome to Hub City Vineyard. Uh, I am not Chris Schlatterbeck, our senior lead pastor. Uh, my name is Rhett Trox. I'm actually the worship pastor here at Hub City Vineyard. But Chris has given me the incredible opportunity and privilege to come and deliver a word to you. So um, if you've been in the church um, for any, any decent amount of time, you know that Chris does not take Sundays off. So I consider this um, a severe, uh, a very high blessing that he has entrusted me with his platform. And so I hope that I'm able to uh, deliver on all that God has uh, for you today. So I want to tell you a little bit about my preaching style, and I want to ask a favor, see if you guys will help me out. So as I preach, as I teach, as I talk, I love participation. All right, so this is the house of the Lord and I believe that our God was a radical God. He was full of energy, he was full of excitement. So if I say something this morning that resonates in your heart or in your soul, I'm here to tell you it's okay if you wanna clap, all right? It's okay if you wanna give me an amen and a hallelujah because I like to feed off of the energy in the room and I hope that I say a few things throughout this Sunday this morning that will just stir something up in you and allow you to just grasp on to all that God has for you in this moment so uh, once again uh, thank you to Chris for allowing me to have this incredible opportunity you see no matter where we are in our current walk of life some of us go through things differently some of us experience things differently than others obviously but I believe that we all share one commonality we all share something in our lives and that and maybe we're going through it right now this morning, but it's that we all share periods of being in what I call the fire, right? Being in periods, going through seasons of doubt, of anxiety, of frustration, of uncertainty, right? We all go through those seasons. Some of us process it the same, some of us process it differently. But the one thing that we all share is that we all go through those seasons of life. Perhaps you're in a place this morning where you're going through one of those times, one of those seasons right now, or maybe you've just come out of one of those seasons, or maybe you're someone, unbeknownst to you, are getting ready to enter a season of uncertainty or a season of what I call being in the fire. So as you know, we started off a brand new uh, series last week called The Real F-Words, and when Chris and Rudy and Carl came to me and we decided that we were gonna preach a series called The Real F-Words. I thought, oh my gosh, I don't get to preach very often and when I do, you're making me deliver a message on something called The Real F-Words. But I was immediately convicted that how many times do you guys believe that the enemy can plant seeds of doubt in our mind and what God means for our good, the enemy can try to make us think that it's for his good, right? So I believe this morning that we we need to shrug off the thought of the F word, right? So clearly we know what that, what that can mean in our society today, but we're going to be looking at four different words that begin with the letter F throughout this series in which uh, we are calling the real F words, right? So last week was forgiveness. Um, I get the privilege and the honor of bringing you the word favor, favor. A term synonymous with favor can also be blessing. Right so if God has planted favor in your life it could also mean that he's delivering a blessing or he's giving you a blessing in life. You see so many times I believe that we correlate the presence of trouble in our life with the absence of God. We correlate the presence of trouble with the absence of God. If I'm going through a season of doubt, if I'm going through a difficult time, if I'm going through something I don't understand, if it's painful, Right, A lot of times in those situations, we allow our minds to believe that God must be absent in that situation. But the presence of trouble does not mean the absence of God. And conversely, the presence of God doesn't mean the absence of trouble. We know that God is with us. We know that God is for us. We know that he's with us every step of the way. But what that doesn't mean, that even though he's present in our life, it doesn't mean that we will never encounter Trouble, right? Amen. In fact, I believe, and this may seem backwards and may seem counterintuitive to you, but this is the the uh, the standpoint of my whole message today. I believe that God's favor resides more during the seasons of doubt and the seasons of trouble, the seasons of being in the fire. I believe that God hides His Easter eggs of favor within those seasons of our life, and that's the title of my message today. There's favor in the fire. Come on, say it with me. There's favor in the fire. So Justin, if you want to throw up that slide, the title of my message today, there's favor in the fire. And my goal, my job, when I'm considering my task today is to deliver tools into your hands that you can use to unlock and realize that God hides incredible amounts of favor within your life. And the way that we are going to do that today, it might be a little unconventional as compared to traditional messages here at Hubstead Vineyard. We're going to look at four simple stories in the Bible. Some of them, you, some of them you, you may have heard, some of them you may not have heard. But we're going to look at four different stories in the Bible in which characters in the Bible encountered hardship or struggle or pain. But I want to show you the favor that God had waiting for them in that season in hopes to give you the tools to shift our mindset, to shift our thinking, and to being able to unlock all that God has for you in your life. So if I could tell you that God undoubtedly had favor for you no matter what walk of life you're going through right now, and if I could teach you how to find it, how many would wanna unlock that ability this morning? You see, those are the types of questions that us pastors like to ask because it's basically guaranteed to get 100% participation, right? (laughs) So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. God, I'm so grateful that you have entrusted me with this amazing opportunity. God, and that's what this is this morning. This is an opportunity, not an obligation. I don't have to be here, I get to be here. And Lord, I just pray that you would just use me as a conduit of your knowledge, of your wisdom, of all that you have for every person in this room and watching online. I pray that you would just allow me to be a vessel of hope, of wisdom, of guidance, coming directly from you. God, that the words that I speak today would not be all me, but God, they would be all you. And Lord, as we as we walk and we talk through these different stories in the Bible, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see how they correspond, to see how they correlate, to see how they relate to the seasons of life that we go through in hopes that we can unlock the favor and the blessing that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say point one. All right, you guys are responsive. This is going in the right direction. Our thir- first thought today is that there is favor in your purpose, there is favor in your purpose now when I say purpose we all have we all have lofty goals in life right we all have a purpose that we are striving to get to we all have a purpose that we want to see deployed or developed in our life so if your purpose in here today is to become the CEO of a multinational banking corporation and be sitting on billions of dollars that's great That's awesome but I'm not really talking about finding favor in that type of purpose today the purpose that I want to highlight is the purpose that we are living in right here right now In the moment because as my good friend jack reacher from amazon prime says details matter right i believe that god lives within the details of our lives and we all are walking in a specific way we're all walking in a specific purpose here this morning and i want to show you that there is favor in your purpose the character that i'm going to use to articulate this is uh, quite arguably my favorite character in the entire bible um, he's just an incredible man of God. Uh, I actually model the leadership that I, that I, that I give uh, our worship team after, after this man, and he is none, or none other than David. So undoubtedly, when you hear of David, you instantly think of the story of him doing what? Killing Goliath, right? He's the giant slaying warrior. But let's take a minute to study David and obtain some facts on who he was prior to being the giant slaying warrior. David was from the tribe of Judah, and was the youngest of seven sons. And most commonly, David was known as a shepherd boy, right? We all know of David as the shepherd. David served under the powerful ruler named Saul. In First Samuel, the Bible tells us that when the Israelites wanted a human king, I say human king because did you know that the Israelites were never supposed to have a human king? but they wanted to be like everybody else. They looked around and they saw human kings shepherding and lording all over the other territories around the world and they said, well, we want one of those. We, we, need to have a, we need to have a physical king here so that we look the part of everybody else. But when the people wanted a king, Saul was chosen because of his masculinity, because of his stature. The Bible says that he was chosen because he was a head taller than everybody else. Basically, the people wanted somebody that looked tough, right? They wanted a Chris Slaughterbeck type of leader, right? And so they anointed Saul to show others that God had actually anointed him to be their king. But while David was serving as a shepherd, another one of my favorite fun facts about David is that he was a musician as well. Maybe that's why I like him so much. He was a musician. But you see, the position of a shepherd and a harp-slaying musician was not something that acclaimed great fame great power back in the day. You see, I just said that Saul was chosen because of his masculinity, because of his structure, because of his his physicality. But when Saul disobeyed God and fell out of favor, it was time for Samuel to anoint a new king. And here's what the Bible tells us. First Samuel 16 through 16 verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the the heart. So basically God says, you took it upon yourself to try to go off on your own and pick a king that you thought would be valuable to your kingdom. But take the back seat for a minute and let me show you how it's done. And here's what I love, check this out. We learn that after Samuel learns that it's none of his top six candidates or, or qualifiers of Jesse's sons to be anointed as king, he finds David and he realizes that David is the one to be anointed. And in the quiet and privacy of the living room in their house, David is appointed as the real king of Israel and no one even knows it, no one even knows it. So I wanna stop right here and expand on this for a second. I wanna encourage someone in this place this morning I don't know who has told you that you don't have what it takes because of the way that you look but the next time that you are that you come across somebody who tells you that you don't have what it takes because of your physical stature you remind them that God chooses based on the heart based on the posture of your heart and based on who you have been called to be not the way that you look it's not the things that people can see that matter in this life it's the things that you hide in your heart and hide in your mind that confirm who you are to be in this life that really matter You see, they thought they had the right king in Saul because he looked the part. But in fact, the real courageous king of Israel was a small shepherd boy. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, I might be small, but I can pack a punch. And sometimes the favor of the Lord will be found in the quiet living room of your house where there's no fanfare, there's no grand celebration but it comes from you just walking in the purpose that God has for you. So back to David, he was a simple shepherd boy and the Israelites and Philistine armies were lining up, getting ready for battle, right? This is where the the traditional story of David comes in. Let me take a minute real quick. Man, I love the Bible. I love the Bible and here's why. I have read this story 10, 15, probably 20 times in my life, but every time I read the Bible, you can extract something out of it. Right, I see Ronnie shaking his head, right? Every time you read a passage of scripture, God highlighted four words in this next passage that we're gonna read, four words. And it completely changed my thinking. It really made the, the, the basis and the foundation of this point of finding favor in your purpose. So here we go. First Samuel 17, 17 through 24. Now Jesse said to his son, David, take this food of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brother and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses, to the commander of their unit, see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shout, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked, on, asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And David heard it. Those were the four words that God made just jump off the page when I was reading this. So we know that David was there living out his purpose. He was asked to do something, and he went to do it. And then we learn that Goliath steps out, and he begins shouting. So I think this passage of Scripture would have been fine if that would have been omitted, because by all intents and purposes, we can infer that David was there, he was in the moment, and he heard it. But I believe that God specifically put that in the Bible, because he wants to make us aware that David was there because he was supposed to be there. And if he wouldn't have been there serving his purpose, he might not have been able to hear it. Goliath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance and David heard it. Isn't it interesting that the gateway that led David to his greatest claim to fame came from him walking in his humble purpose. You see, you have to remember that he had already been anointed as king but he's asked to deliver food to his brothers. Here he is working for Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever you wanna call it back in the day. And God says, you think you're just delivering food, but watch this, I have a greater calling for your life. David stepped out in obedience, carrying the weight of being just living in his purpose. And it led to the gateway of him accomplishing his greatest claim to fame. What if David would not have been faithful in that moment on that day? What if he would have thought that he was too powerful or he was too important to be a food delivery boy? In my office at work, I have a quote that hangs at the top of my whiteboard. It says, never think of yourself as too big to do the little things. What if David would have thought that he was too important or too big to, to, to deliver lunch and he would have never heard Goliath's shout? You see, he was obedient. He was faithful in his purpose, and God had an Easter egg of favor lying for him by simply carrying out the purpose that he had in delivering lunch. And the thing that could lead you to defeating the Goliath in your life might come during a time when you're just simply carrying out your purpose. It might not be pretty, but it's a purpose. It might not be popular, but it's a purpose. And it might not seem powerful, but it's the purpose. You see, delivering lunch to his brothers was not pretty, was not popular, was not powerful, but it was the gateway that led David David into defeating his Goliath. And within your purpose is where God's favor can be found. David was highly successful and chosen by God because of two things. So you can throw up the action step, Justin. Execute your purpose with skill and heart. I almost texted Matt Pointer last night and said, I need to change. I need to revise my first point. But then I realized that that meant Tracy was gonna have to reprint all the bulletins. So I said, okay, I won't do it. But I should have made my action step here, deliver the lunch. So I want you to write that in your bulletin. Deliver the lunch, right? Deliver the lunch. It might not be pretty, but it's your purpose. Psalm 78, 70 through 72 said, he chose David, his servant, and took, from, took him from the sheep hens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David, here we go, David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. He led them, skill and heart. And then as, as I mentioned about five minutes ago, I modeled the leadership of our worship team after David because of those two things. The first thing I tell people, if you would ever wanna audition for our team, the first thing I say is that you have to have two things to be on this team. Number one, you have to be skilled because I believe that it takes a level of skill to be able to exhibit the quality of worship that we have here. But number two, and number two is drastically the the most important thing, is you have to have the heart to match. And if you can adopt those two principles and extrapolate them into other areas of, of your life, if you can operate your purpose here with a skillful hand and with the right heart posture that God has given you, I promise you will find favor after favor after favor. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands, he led them. So our action step today, execute your purpose purpose with skill and heart. You see, David was simply walking in his purpose when God delivered an Easter egg of favor that became his greatest claim to fame our second point today there's favor in say it with me perspective perspective what a powerful word right perspective is such a powerful word it can be a challenging word because the last thing you want to hear when you're going through a tough time is for someone to say you just need to change your perspective right nobody wants to hear that in the moment because it's frustrating but It is so true, and it's something that has been just an ongoing struggle, ongoing battle in my life, because things aren't always perfect, right? Things go astray, the train comes off the tracks, but if you have a perspective on where things are going and where you are, and knowing that God is for you and with you, our perspective can unlock a lot of favor in our life. The story that we're going to look at within the Bible is none other than my good buddies Paul and Silas. Right, So you probably already know the story that I'm going to. But you see, Paul and Silas had a simple mission when they were here. And that was to expand the kingdom of heaven. They wanted to preach, they wanted to teach, they were sold out to God. They wanted to tell anybody and everybody about God that would listen. Now at one point in their journey, they come across a roadblock or an issue, a hardship, if you will. So let's go to Acts 16. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. You see, this is where the trouble starts for Paul and Silas. They're out doing the Lord's work. They're just doing what they're supposed to do and they encounter a detour. You ever been on a road trip and you encounter a detour? It's annoying, right? It's frustrating. Typically, it means you're going to get to wherever you're going later, which if you're my wife, you're already late anyway, so it doesn't matter. No, but in all seriousness, the detours of our life are frustrating, right? It, re- it represents some type of trouble, right? We're, we're human creatures who likes to plan our next step, and we like to have everything set in order. And when we're driving our vehicle, and we come up upon a sign that says detour, it usually corresponds to a feeling of frustration or anger. And while detours are inconvenient and annoying and disrupting, it doesn't always mean that they're bad. So let's keep reading. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. I, I, I love to like envision things as I'm reading stories in the Bible, how they're really playing out. So in verse 17, you heard me say that the jailer put them in the inner cell, right? That details matter, as I just said. So they're not like over on the west wing, where like they're singing and everyone on the east wing can't hear them, right? They're in the inner cell. And I think that was on purpose, and here's why, right? What do you think the culture or the mood is like in a prison? Probably not very good, right? Probably, probably not one that makes you feel bubbly and, and happy inside. So here it is, midnight, which tells me that people are probably tired. They're probably trying to get some sleep. And these two knuckleheads, Paul and Silas, in the middle of the prison start singing, wonder what song they sang. Probably something by Hub City Worship because they have good taste, I believe. Maybe Hallelujah for the Cross runs wild, I don't know. But anyway, here they are and they start singing praises and hymns to God at midnight while in the middle of their jail cell. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaking. All at once, The prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he took out his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now let's stop for a second. As I just mentioned, here are Paul and Silas, bounded, fastened, their feet, cut up from being fastened in the stocks. They got stripes on their back from being flogged and beaten in the middle of a jail cell, yet singing to God in the midst of their trouble. You know, wanna know what a lot of us get wrong in our lives from time to time? And I do it too. You wanna know? We allow or we wait for the fire to subside before we allow our faith to get stronger. I hear an uh uh-oh. Right, We do that, do we not? We wait for the fire to subside before we allow our faith to get stronger. God, if you can just give me a glimpse that I'm going in the right direction, I'll let my faith get a little stronger. God, if you can just let me know that things are going to be okay, I'll let my faith get a little bit stronger. God, if you can just fix this one little issue, if you could just help my kids listen to me a little bit more, I'll, I'll let my faith get a little bit stronger. If you just give me a glimmer of hope on the job, I'll let my faith get a little bit stronger. If you will let me see victory in this situation, I'll let my praises get a little bit louder. But you know why Paul and Silas were successful in their prisons, though? They had perspective. They allowed their perspective, and they found favor was waiting on them within their praise. They knew God. Was good already they knew he was for them. They knew he was with them So they didn't say god allow these prison doors to be flung wide open and then i'll shout my praises to you They said god I know you're good and i'm going to praise you in the middle of my jail cell because I have a perspective that cannot be shaken I may be bounded. I may be chained. I may be hurting. I may be bleeding I may be broken, but I know that you are good You are for good and you are with me here So i'm going to praise you in the middle of this storm and that's the favor that they found and why the prison doors were flung wide open. You see, guys, you have to remember, I'm the worship leader here, I'm the worship pastor. I get to see, get to see you guys week in and week out. And there are so many Sundays where Stacey, Stacey Shiflet's up here singing It as Well. And here we are. It is. I well. can't believe the Steelers lost last night. With my soul, it is well, it'd be well if they'd get back to the chorus because I'm hungry and I want to go to lunch. With my soul. I'm being funny, but I'm being serious, right? Let me get real serious for a minute. So many times we allow our circumstances to predicate the way we worship. And if a mother can worship in the back left of this room, knowing that her son has only hours before he's gonna pass away from a terminal illness and she can still show up on a Sunday morning, raise her hands with tears streaming down her face and sing worship, then so can you. So can you. You see, so many times we come in here and we carry the baggage, we carry the weight of the work week or maybe we get in a fight with our spouse on the way to church and we come in here and we allow that to dictate the way that we worship. But Paul and Silas, while being bounded, while being shackled, while being in chains, chose to praise. So let me ask you this question this morning. Do your chains break your praise or will your praise break your chains? Do your chains break your praise, or will your praise break your chains? Are you a circumstantial worshiper? Do you allow your worship to be dictated by your circumstances, or do you worship through your circumstances? Because you see, Paul and Silas had every reason to sit in that jail cell and be quiet. They had every right to sit there dismayed, hurt, bleeding, bruised, upset, frustrated because of the detour and because of the pain that they were in, but yet they didn't. They chose to praise in the middle of the storm. If we choose to praise, when we choose to praise in the middle of our problems, a beautiful thing can happen. Let's keep going in the story. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his whole household were baptized. First service, remember when I said about how every time I read something, God like highlights something new to me. This happened first service. I love the part in that verse where it just said, and this was revealed to me, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. The jailer took them and washed their wounds. The same person who just beat them, the same person who just fastened their feet in the stocks and threw them into jail so was the one to come back and wash their wounds. Don't tell me that God can't take something that the enemy means for your defeat and make it for your good. The jailer washed their wounds. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You see, Paul and Silas found God's Easter egg of favor within their jail cell that day. And it's because they chose to look at the scenario that they were in, in a different way, in a different light. They chose to change their perspective on the prison. Instead of it being an obligation to be in prison, They looked at it as an opportunity to experience freedom. And when they became free, what did they do? They healed an entire household of the jailer who was the one who imprisoned them. You see, friends, perspective can be everything. Perspective can be the difference of you throwing in the towel or you getting up tomorrow morning and going back to the job that's being frustrating. Perspective can be the key to unlock your chains. So, our action step today let your praise break your chains. I'll ask the question one more time Do your chains break your praise, or will your praise break your chains? The choice is yours. The third area is this good? You guys liking this so far? All right. If you said no, I was going to keep going. Doesn't matter. The third, uh, the third story I wanna look at, we're gonna stay with, uh, stay with my man, Paul, but the third, uh, third point today is there's favor in, say it together, perseverance. There's favor in perseverance. When I think of the word perseverance, I think of not, not quitting, not giving up, pursuing, even when things are difficult. Paul was formerly named Saul. He was not a Christian, in fact, he persecuted Christians. He was the opposite of a Christian for many years of his life. But God came to him in a dream and changed him once called by the lord he was sold out for god and did nothing but try to expand the kingdom of heaven as we just learned however with this mission brought great struggle you see he experienced severe severe persecution paul did not have an easy go of things he was chased he was caught he was flogged he was beaten he was imprisoned he was plotted against he basically went through so much stuff that if he decided to throw in the towel, we probably would have looked at him and said, yep, I can understand why you did that. I don't fault you for doing that. He had a rough go of things early on when he was trying to pursue the kingdom of heaven. And he had every right to walk away, but he didn't. You see, God eventually calls Paul to preach in Rome and to set the standard for you. This is like getting called to the big leagues, right? This is like playing at Hagerstown Sun Stadium and then getting the call that you're gonna pitch at Fenway Park. Back in the day, if you will, this was like the greatest, uh, the greatest ask, the greatest blessing, the greatest call that you could have, that God wanted you to preach in Rome. So Paul, Paul gets himself ready to go. He hears the command from, G, from, from God and he says, yes, Lord, I'll go. He seizes the opportunity. He readies himself for the trip. And as he is sailing off to Rome, I have to think that in that moment, He probably took a deep breath and he probably said, I finally made it. I finally made it. My life has been a living hell. I've been chased. I've been thrown in jail cell after jail cell. I got scars on my back from where they whipped me and beat me countless times. But God, you finally called me to Rome and I'm going. But, there's always a but. They encounter a storm. Acts 27 says this, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. So see, basically Paul can see what's about to happen. He can see what's about to unfold. You ever been in a situation where you know somebody's about to act a fool or make a poor decision? You can see the writing on the wall, but there's nothing you can do to stop it. I'm probably talking to all the guys in here, right? Husbands, you know what I mean? Like when your wife is about to go to Target, right? And you know, that's probably not the Lord's best for you right now. Or when you ask, where do you wanna to go to lunch? And they say Panera Bread. And I can hear the spirit of my wallet saying it's not a good decision, but what do we do? We let them go anyway. No, I'm being funny. I mean, if I put in all seriousness, there, here's a personal example. In, in, in my house, I'm the saver, my wife is the spender. I, I don't spend money, but when I do spend money, I spend money, right? I, 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 buy, I buy a very few amount of things, but they're usually large I like I like my toys, dirt bikes, four-wheelers, golf carts. My wife, on the other hand, is the opposite. She buys stuff all the time, every day. I'm not saying that she buys a lot from Amazon, but we got a wedding invitation from our delivery driver. Uh, so <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That that's a, that's a meme on Facebook. I can't take credit for that. No, but it's true. But in, in, in my house, my wife buys a lot of stuff, little things all the time, and I usually spend big purchases. And the moments in my life where I have wanted a dirt bike or a four-wheeler or a golf cart, right before I'm getting ready to go meet the person or go buy the thing, she'll come and she'll say, do you think we really need that? <laughs> and of course I say, "Oh, well, yeah, absolutely we do, honey. And I can give her the reason. What she's doing, she can see the writing on the wall, right? And I'll probably regret this later, but I have to admit that she's right because standing here today, guess what I don't have? a dirt bike, a four-wheeler, and a golf cart because I realized that I probably didn't need those things and I have since sold them. So Katie, my lovely wife, she can see the writing on the wall in this scenario, but she lets it play out because she's my wife and she loves me and she's fantastic and she's awesome. All right, but she's just like Paul in this scenario. Paul can see what is about to happen. He tells these knuckleheads, he says, we should not be making this trip I'm trying to get to Rome, I have a message to preach, God has called me, and you are making a terrible decision, but he's not in a position of authority where he can tell them what to do, so he has to watch the story play out. In Acts 27, the story goes on, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it. And were driven along. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took, sound, took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again, found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. We then learned the next morning that they finally see land and they decided to run the ship aground to keep from dying. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Everybody say Malta. Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. This point in my message, this story, the third point here about Malta is the one that I learned the most and it's probably my, my most favorite. Uh, knowledge that I gained after reading all of these stories because it was the one that was maybe the most unfamiliar with me. But you see Paul finds himself on Malta. You see Malta to me represents so much more than just a physical landmark or the name of an island where Paul finds himself. You see Malta to me represents a place of uncertainty, an unfamiliar territory, a place of not knowing what to expect you see Paul you have to remember his life had been hard and he was finally gaining some traction on where he wanted to go but he finds himself in an unfamiliar land called Malta it's a place where you have to rely on your faith because you're not sure if your knowledge or education of what you're going through is going to be enough to see you through a place like being a mom and a dad wondering if you have what it takes to be good parents A place like not being sure if you're gonna make it until your next paycheck comes in to pay the bills. A place like not being sure what your most recent diagnosis is gonna mean for you. And I wonder how many of us in here today have found ourselves on a place called Malta. And maybe finding ourselves today in a place called Malta, an unfamiliar place, a place where you're not sure of what to expect. The Bible tells us that they built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself to his hand. I have to believe that this was probably the moment where Paul said, are you kidding me? I've been beaten, I've been thrown in jail, I've been shipwrecked against my own good because I knew it was gonna happen. Now I am here in a place called Malta where I've never been. It's unfamiliar. I'm uncertain of what to expect. The islanders are actually showing me kindness which was non-customary back in the day. The Bible actually calls them barbarians because people were very territorial of their land back then. So he makes it to shore and he thinks, I'll be a good guy, I'll help. Let me help gather some firewood. Notice the Bible doesn't say a snake. It says a viper, right? We need to know that this was a serious, serious occurrence. Wasn't your typical garden snake or a black snake. It was a viper. And notice that it doesn't say it bit his hand. What does it say? Fastened. Fastened. So this was not like a quick bite and release. This thing was stuck on Paul. And I can imagine the pain can imagine the suffering that Paul was going through when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand they said to each other this man must be a murderer for though he escaped from the sea the goddess justice had not allowed him to live but Paul channeling his inner taylor swift was he do shake it off everybody say shake it off, shake it off. haters gonna Hate, 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 hate. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expecting him to swell up and suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a God. This is why you can't put your faith in people. One minute a murderer, the next minute he's a God. One minute a murderer because he's been cursed. And he's got a viper hanging off of his hand. The next minute they treated him as a god. Isn't it funny how when the favor of the Lord changes your circumstance, the story of who you are can radically change with it. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the islands. This is like the governor, the mayor, the one in charge of Malta. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. You see, what happened was the people of the island saw that there was something special about Paul. He survived a, he survived a, a, a viper snake bite. So they ran and they told the leader, they say, there's something about this guy that, that we need to tap into. There's something that we need to learn. So Publius invites him to his house. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever, and dysentery Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him picture this so Paul with his viper bite I have to believe I have to have to imagine that the hand that he used to heal that man was the same hand that the devil tried to take away from him with that viper bite his hand still bloody still swollen was the hand that healed Publius's father and I believe in that moment, Paul said, go ahead and bite me, devil, because I bite back. Come on, say that, say, I bite back. I bite back. Tell, tell the devil now, I bite, I bite back. I bite back. And with his hand that was swollen, healed the man. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, They furnished us with the supplies we need, which brings us to our action step today. Friend, we have to persevere through the process. The next chapter in the Bible is Paul arriving in Rome. So he finally makes it, he finally makes it. But you see, God wanted Paul to experience Malta. Before Paul could arrive to Rome, he had to experience Malta. And I believe that God wanted Paul to experience the process before he could experience the promise. God wanted Paul to experience the process before he experienced the promise. You see, Paul, being a God fearing man, at this juncture in his life, he knew that God was good. He knew that whatever it is that he endured, he had to go through. He knew that the snake bite wasn't going to kill him. If God called him to preach in Rome, he couldn't die on Malta. So I believe that as he took his steps on the shore of Malta, being frustrated, being bummed out, I believe in that moment that he probably thought that he needed Malta. But friends, how cool is it that Paul didn't need Malta? Malta needed Paul. Paul didn't need Malta, Malta needed Paul sometimes the real destination that God wants us to understand lies within the detour of our life. So that unfamiliar place that you're in this morning, your own Malta, that place of being maybe a little bit scared, that place of not being sure what comes next, maybe you don't need it. Maybe it needs you. Maybe you don't need it, but maybe God has an Easter egg of favor lying within the island of your own Malta. So for anyone finding themselves walking on the shore of their own Malta, persevere through the process because there's favor to be found. You can't die on Malta if you're called to preach in Rome. You can't die in your current situation today because God has called you so, for so much more. ask the worship team to come back up. Our fourth and final point today is there's favor in persistence. Everybody say persistence. See, I believe that perseverance and persistence are all but synonymous, right? There's a lot of commonality that we can extract from perseverance and persistence. And the story I'm gonna use to exemplify persistence from our friend Joshua. So I gotta be honest, I'm gonna channel my inner 2016 version of Retroxla when I preached a message on Joshua and the walls of Jericho to bring home this final point to us today. You see, Joshua was a man of God who found himself embarking on a very difficult task. He found himself right outside of Jericho, a city well known for its incredibly thick and tall walls. The Bible tells us no one went out and no one came in. The city was essentially on lockdown. No one went out and no one came in. It was so secured. So you can imagine Joshua's position. Not only are you facing an incredibly daunting and large army on the inside of a city, but you have to penetrate the industry standard when it comes to wall defense. The Bible tells us, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets have the whole army give a loud shout when the wall of the city will collapse and the arm will go up everyone straight in when joshua had spoken to the people the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the lord went forward blowing their trumpets and the ark of the lord covenant followed them the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark at this time the trumpets were sounding but joshua had commanded the army do not give a war cry do not raise your voices do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. This is a very important detail that cannot be overlooked. You see, God told Joshua how many days? Everybody say seven. God told Joshua that on the seventh day you walk around the city seven times before you shout. But nowhere in this passage of scripture can I find that Joshua told his men how many days to walk. Yet they walked in obedience. Joshua knew how many days it would take. But his men did not. They didn't know how many laps it would take for the walls to fall. You see, sometimes in life, we don't know how long something is going to take for us to see the victory, but we got to keep walking while he's working. I told Carl, first service, write that down: walking while he's working. That's their next original song. Keep walking while he's working. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpet. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Now, why would God make it hard on Joshua and his men? Why not allow the walls to fall in a day, maybe two? The victory was already theirs, right? Why does God make make them wait? Why does God make us wait? God, why won't you let the breakthrough that I so desperately need happen right now? God, how many more days until it's my turn to be loved and wear a ring? God, how many more weeks is it gonna take before I see the change in my work that I need? God, how many more tests till my blood work comes back showing that I'm healthy again? God, how much longer until I get to be a mom? Why do you make me wait? I used to run track back in high school and I was known for having something that was called a kick. And what this means is you keep yourself positioned close to the race, but you would hang back and you'd save up just enough of your strength to be able to outpace those in front of you on the, on the last home stretch. That's what I did. That was my claim to fame. I'd always sit back and I'd sprint at the very end to win. But I learned a very, very, very valuable lesson in those track races early on. And it's that I had to keep myself positioned in the race to be able to stand a chance. I'll kick those in front of me. So why does God make us wait? I believe it's because he wants to see our faithfulness through the race and not just on the home stretch. I believe that God wants to see your faithfulness through the race of your life. Whatever situation that you're in right now, Marching around your own walls of Jericho, he wants to see that you're gonna get up on day one and you're gonna get up on day two and you're gonna get up on day three, four, five, and six as well. He wants to see your faithfulness through the race and not just on the home stretch. Can we stand up together as we close this thing out? You see, here's what God revealed to me about Joshua and his men. They didn't know how many laps it was gonna take for the walls of Jericho to fall, but every lap that they walked in obedience, they were one lap closer to their victory. They were one lap closer to the set amount of times that God had prededicated of when the walls would fall. Every day that they chose to get up again and again and again and walk around the walls again and again, they were one day closer to the victory. They didn't know when the walls would fall, but they walked in faith knowing that they will, and that's the battle. We don't know when the walls will fall, but we need to have the faith that they will. And today I came to tell somebody in this place that it may not feel like the walls of your battle are ever gonna fall, but you keep taking another lap because they will. It might not feel like it's gonna happen today, but you take another lap. So it might feel like you're never gonna lose the weight, but you take another lap. It might feel like your boss is never gonna get off your back, but but you take another lap. It may feel like your kids are never gonna listen or your son or daughter is never gonna come back home, but you take another lap. It might feel like your spouse is never gonna love you for who you really are, but you take another lap. It might feel like your financial state is never gonna change, but you take another lap because guess what, that lap that you're on, that might be the one when the walls fall down. That lap that you're walking today, getting up in faith, might be the one when the walls fall down. Why does God make us wait? Why did God make them walk around the city? It's because even after the walls fell down, there was an army to fight on the inside. There was a battle to fight on the inside. And every day that they got up and they walked around those laps, they walked those walls, their legs were getting stronger. Their faith was getting stronger. They needed that confidence. They needed that to be able to fight the battle that was on the inside. So you get up every morning and you keep walking because that lap that you're on, that might be the one when the walls fall down. That might be the one when God makes the walls fall down. That might be the one. The King of glory is Come and behold.